Thank you so much for your, your warm welcome. And uh, we value very much the partnership and the gospel that we have uh, with the folks here at uh, St. Peter's. And it's lovely to share fellowship in this way this morning. Let's turn in our Bibles to Luke's Gospel and chapter 24, Luke 24. And this morning we're thinking around the theme of Christ's ascension, which uh, I suggest to you is sometimes a little bit of a neglected part of the life and ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we're going to look at that uh, this morning in this short time together that we have So verse 44 of chapter 24 of Luke's gospel reads thus. Then he, that is Jesus, said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are my witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple, blessing God. Amen. So reads God's word. There was a time in my Christian experience when I had become, shall I say, a little disillusioned with church. Various reasons for it that I won't go into, but that's where I was spiritually. That tends to happen when we take our eyes off the Lord Jesus and rest our eyes in other places and sometimes with some of God's people. But then I heard a preacher who really spoke to my heart. He really spoke of the deep truths of God's words in a way that impacted me. And I would think I was spiritually revived at that time. He just connected with me. I never did get to know him personally. I just heard him from a distance. I listened to his recordings. I read his books. And I was lifted and encouraged probably saved my theology from going south and from disaster. Very, very powerful impact. But then as I began to listen some more, some of the things he was saying just didn't settle well with me. One or two comments that he made I really wasn't sure about. And and then it all came out that he'd been living a double life of immorality. And I was deeply, deeply disappointed. If you forget everything else that I say this morning, would you remember this? Jesus never disappoints. Jesus never, never disappoints. 
Contrast my experience and the experience of others with the disciples. For three years they had been with the Lord and they had been with him at close quarters and every step along the way spoke to his authenticity. Sometimes the disciples were challenged at other times they were awed by him. But at no time did they doubt his authenticity. Even Jesus' enemies could not make the mud stick. We may say with confidence that every experience of Christ led his disciples upwards to this pinnacle point of his ascension. Peter, James, and John had been with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, but as a discipleship group, Jesus takes them to a new level here. They see his glory. Every time he takes them up a notch, He takes them up another notch until they reach this pinnacle point. Jesus does not disappoint. Jesus never disappoints. He challenges us. He stretches us. He tests us. But he never disappoints. The disciples of our Lord Jesus Christ were no mugs. They were real men who knew what it was to live and to make a living. And to deal with stuff. There was a phenomenon around that time of false messiahs. uh, Raising the hopes of the people only to dash them again. And this is the difference with Jesus. Every notch he takes them up is followed by the next. Until they reach this point where they witness for themselves. The glory of Jesus Christ. And off they go, (laughs) doing the only thing that they can do, and that is worshipping and rejoicing at what they have seen. Our aim this morning is that like those watching disciples, we would be awed by the ascending and the ascended Christ. As I said to you at the beginning, I feel that Christ's ascension is a slightly neglected part of his ministry. But my prayer would be that we would see the relevance of this closing episode of Luke's gospel. Because this is Christ's ascent to the highest place. And that reality, that knowledge is something that should encourage us greatly as Christians. Paul writes in Philippians 2, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. No wonder the cry of the early Christians was Jesus Christ is Lord because he is and has ascended to the highest place that heaven affords. And so today, our time in the Word pivots around two points. He blessed, they worshipped. He blessed, they worshipped. He blessed, he has walked with them, he has taught them, he has taken them to his heart, he has now completed his saving work. And now at his going, they rejoice because they are given an insight into his greatness. Prior to this, when Jesus mentioned his leaving, they were sorrowful, but not here, because they have seen his glory. And they worshipped. When they understand the true nature of Christ, there is only one thing that the believing heart can do. 
Jesus' ascension is his accession to the throne of the universe. And there is only one thing the believing heart can do, and that is to worship. The disciples are so excited as they return to Jerusalem and to the temple because of what they have seen. First of all, then he blessed. Then he led them out as far as Bethany. And lifting his hands, he blessed them. Do you know, one of the things I really love about studying the Bible is just finding the details that are so precious. Everything Jesus does is significant. And we're told here that he takes them out as far as Bethany. It is Bethany where he takes them, the hometown of his best friends, Mary and Martha and Lazarus, whom he raised from the dead. And I think that's so significant because they're about to experience the glory of his divinity and his ascension, but it is to this place, Bethany, he goes, where it might be argued he most expressed his truest humanity. Being with his friends, enjoying the hospitality and the banter, our Lord Jesus Christ, truly God, but truly man, takes time to go to Bethany. And it reminds us of another wonderful thought, that there is now human flesh in heaven. Truly man, truly God. Then Dr. Luke tells us that he lifted up his hands and blessed them. Now even that action carries significance because as these Jewish men would have known, this was something that the high priest would do when he was conferring God's blessing upon the people, particularly on the Day of Atonement. And so even in the action, Jesus is communicating that he is now the great high priest and who will convey this blessing to his people. Soon the ascended Lord will begin his high priestly ministry, pouring out the Holy Spirit and blessing upon blessing upon his people. There, as Hebrews tells us, he will intercede for us before the Father. Isn't that a wonderful thought? That in the very throne room of heaven, Jesus is saying to the Father, this one and that one and this one and that one, they are mine. Our great high priest. Consider the blessings that accrue to the disciples and to us in Christ. He has now lived perfectly. His righteousness is clear to all. And now by faith, that righteousness of Christ can be imputed to the believer. As we come believing, we get what we don't deserve. The righteousness of Christ put to our account. By this time, his amazing atonement upon the cross, bearing the sin of all who will come to him. What a blessing. He's now risen from the dead. He's conquered death and darkness. He's now spent 40 days with the disciples and taught them and told them to wait. And now they are going to see with their own eyes the glory of Christ. 
There is nothing in this world like the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're going to see him now return in glory to the Father. Then he led them out as far as Bethany and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. (laughs) One sentence, but so much compressed meaning. But now it's time for him to go. And he goes. He blessed. And how did he bless? Blessing upon blessing upon his disciples and upon every believer even today. Think about the blessings that you have, believer, in the Lord Jesus Christ. And let that thought humble you and lift you in worship. He blessed. And then they do what they could only do. And that is they worshipped. Look at verses 51 to 52. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up up to heaven and they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. Now I guess that most of us who are listening to this this morning are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And, And we know that... Our understanding of the world and the universe begins with a creator God who, by the word of his power, speaks all things into being and therefore can do things like that. But to Mr. Joe Bloggs, man in the street, this sounds like something out of Doctor Who. But these down-to-earth disciples, Dr. Luke and the others, record this ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ without embarrassment and without embellishment. And it has been the historic position of the church since. Recorded in the early creeds that Jesus Christ was crucified, died and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father and he will come to judge the living and the dead. The Apostles' Creed. If you have your Bible there, turn with me to Acts chapter 1 where Dr. Luke begins his sequel to his gospel. Acts chapter 1. Jesus, after answering more questions from his disciples, um, Dr. Luke here gives us more detail And we read in verse 9, and when he had said these things, the answers that he had given them, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Marvelous. The earthly phase of Jesus' ministry is ended. But the heavenly phase of his ministry is now beginning. There is mention of the cloud. Now, if you know your Bibles, you will know that often when the cloud is mentioned, it's a symbol, a sign of divinity. And so as he is enveloped in the cloud, it's a signal of the reality of who Jesus is as God made flesh. It's wonderful. So wonderful. 
And then there is the promise of his return. This is Christ's exaltation. His exaltation to glory. Ephesians 1, Paul speaks of God's power through Christ, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. The highest place that heaven affords is his by sovereign right. 1 Peter 3, Peter speaks of Jesus Christ who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities and powers having been subjected to him. Christ's ascension is Christ's accession to the throne of God. No higher place. Well, that's a word we need to hear today, isn't it? When everything seems so dark and so down, Jesus is Lord. Not just in name, but in nature. Jesus not only predicted his ascension, John 6, 67 tells us that, but the Old Testament you may know, predicts it too. Daniel chapter 7. God's people, of course, are at a, a low point. Babylon is in the ascendancy and there is Daniel and the cream of the crop taken away and relocated in that foreign land. And of course, it is at this point that Daniel is given a series of visions and one of them is found in Daniel chapter 7. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed." I firmly believe that this is a foretelling of what is happening just beyond the vision of the disciples as they see the ascending Christ. Son of man, Jesus' most used self-description. The clouds, again, a sign of divinity. This human figure coming before the ancient of days and being given all that is only applicable to God. Sovereign dominion, an everlasting kingdom with a global people. Daniel, I believe, records for us the unseen reality of Christ's heavenly enthronement. And even from what they can see, the disciples are enthralled at the elevation of their Lord. And their response is just what we'd expect. They're kind of excited. I know that most of us here are Scots and we try to hide these things except at football matches and stuff like that but they are absolutely blown away by what they see and they worshipped him and returned 
to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. You know, people are people. Can you imagine the others in the temple? Maybe one friend saying to another, you know, what's with these guys? What are they on? And the other saying, oh, don't ask. You you wouldn't believe it if I told you. (laughs) They're so excited about what they've seen, the accession of the hope of Israel. And remember what they've been promised. The sovereign Lord has given the promise of the, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. Jesus not only calls, he equips. And what we need to remember today is this, that none of this has changed. Except that the Spirit has now come. Pentecost. He has now sent his Spirit. We have a sovereign Lord and the ministry of his Spirit. And here as the disciples gather in the temple, worshipping and praising God, it's interesting that Luke's gospel begins in the temple, chapter 1, verse 5, and now it ends in the temple. But in the intervening period, everything has changed. Soon that place that was so precious to Jewish people would become obsolete. Because the meeting place of God with his people is now no longer in a building in Jerusalem, but in our hearts. That's why Paul says, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? Can I ask you, God's people, can this possibly get any better? I don't think so. God's purpose in recording this is that we might be as blown away as those first disciples were. This vision of the ascending and ascended Christ will prove to be a sustaining vision. And this is where this lands pastorally. This isn't just sort of up in the air theology that's good to know. This lands pastorally in the New Testament and it ought to land pastorally with us. Think about Acts chapter 7. There is Stephen being stoned. First Christian martyr. And he's being stoned because of his testimony to the risen and ascended Christ. But we are told in Acts, but he full of the Holy Spirit gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God. And what did he see? He saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. What a sustaining vision. And he said, behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. What a thing. This is what we mean by a sustaining vision. There is Stephen in extremity. And the vision that he has given is of his sovereign Lord. The message to him as he dies is this. It's okay, Stephen. This is where I am. We then cut to Patmos, the ageist, the ageist, aged, (laughs) Apostle John, banished from the churches over which he had pastoral oversight. And he is given a vision. Do you remember it? Revelation chapter 1, verse 13. There he is, probably feeling low on that rocky outcrop. And in the midst of the lampstands, in the vision, stands one like a 
Son of Man. Clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. And John says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, fear not. I am the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades. Brothers and sisters in Jesus, heaven is not surprised by COVID-19. Jesus is Lord. And when we're tempted to despair, feeling that all is against us, we are called to remember this real, if yet unseen reality of the risen and exalted Christ. And to know that he is at work, that the kingdom is coming. Psalm 110 looked forward to this. It's cited, of course, by Peter at Pentecost, recorded for us in Acts chapter 2. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The reason that the disciples went running back to Jerusalem rejoicing and full of joy is because they had caught a glimpse of the exaltedness of Christ. And we know very well that this old world can drag us down. God's people, let's keep before us this vision of who and of where Jesus is. And then as we land, if that news is great, it gets even better. Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. He's coming back. He's coming back. Paul writes, For God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus... Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. One day he's coming back and everyone will take the knee to Jesus. My prayer for us this morning is that God would revive us with this vision of this risen exalted, ascended, and glorified Lord. And that we will be lifted at the thought of Jesus. Shall we pray? Our God and our loving Heavenly Father, We thank you for the realities that we have been exploring this morning. And our God, we pray that these truths would land with us. And that we would be driven not by the things that drive us in this world, but by this vision of Jesus, whom we love. We pray this morning, Lord, for those who as yet have not bowed to Jesus as Lord. 
We pray, Father, that this vision would impact them for your glory and for their blessing. Help them now, even now, to turn and to rest fully in him. In whose name we pray. Amen.